first, a quick word. This episode deals with emotional themes, including discussions around suicidal feelings and depression that may not be suitable for all listeners. I was so angry at myself because I wasn't getting better and I felt like that was on me. I was just like bottoming out. This is where real life magic comes in because there's like a moment of like, you've got to do something. I don't know why in this moment I thought it. I was like, I wonder if there's anybody else out there that's like bottoming out. What could I do? So I wrote, I started writing a website. The sentence was, if you're having a bad um, minute or moment or month or life, (laughs) message me and I'll send you a lovely letter. Email me. I'm Ian Wright. And from something else, this is Everyday People. In today's episode, I speak to Jodie Ann Bickley, a poet and a mum of two from Birmingham, who's sharing a powerful message of kindness with strangers from all over the world, one handwritten letter at a time. With bright pink hair and an infectious smile, Jodie reminds me of a superhero from a children's movie, but behind her radiant positivity is an amazing story of strength and determination. Jodie was at the top of her game touring Britain as a performance poet. I know you get lonely. I know you're battered and bruised and this world has thrown its fair share of storms towards you. I'm not sure how you've made it through, but trust me when I say I'm in absolute awe of you. When she was struck down by a mystery bug that sent her world into a tailspin, bedridden and battling chronic illness, she started One Million Lovely Letters, a kindness project that speaks loving words over people going through tough times. I found out what's inspired her to spend a decade writing handwritten love notes to people she's never met. So tell me about poetry and the the moment you fell in love with poetry. I tried, (laughs) I tried, Jodie, to to write poetry when I was younger, just, but it was all about trying to make words rhyme and I I didn't, I, I was nowhere near it. When... When did it happen for you? When did you think poetry, man? I like poetry. Uh, I think I first started doing it when I was in school. I like um, I won some prizes and stuff like in year six. Um, I've just I just really loved it. I was the best in the class at putting words together. I think at putting rhyming words together. Or did you whatever. read? Did you read a lot? Because I I didn't read a lot. Yeah. When I was younger, so putting words together, like how you say you you can put them together in 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 your writing, so. Do you need to read a lot to be able to understand the words so you can express them? No, I think you can talk a lot mm, and yeah, put words together. Yeah, I do like, that, yeah. <laughs> You can talk a lot and put the words together. I don't think that, um, like, some of the best, um, like, wordsmiths of, like, our now time, if you spoke to them, probably haven't read much wow. at all, but they've probably talked a lot. They probably know a lot about language, but they just haven't read everything mm. in the library. Um, I did. I, I read a lot when I was little. It was just something that we'd always done. Um, and I just fell in love with it then. And then I didn't do poetry for a really long time. I was a teenager and found found boys and mm. other stuff. But then when I got to about 17, I realised I could write about these boys. <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could write about them. And then um, when I was uh, 20, 
1920. Um, there was a writer called Laura Dockrell, who I really loved um, on MySpace, mm. back in MySpace days. <laughs> um, and I messaged her like some poems. She was like, oh, there's a slam in London you should go to. I didn't have a clue what a slam was. A poetry slam where the country's best writers go back to back, live on stage until one is crowned the winner. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Did you go down to go in the competition? Yeah, but I didn't know what poetry slam was. I thought that I just had to hand my book over. They'd look at it mm. and tell me if it was good. Mm. And then I'd hand it back. Then this guy's telling me I had to go on a stage <gasps> in front of like a full like room. Mm. So I'm standing there in front of all these people that have clearly been doing this for a really long time and just read my poems out. What was you like when you was up there when they said, OK, so Jody, you're up. What, what, what's going through your... Oh, I just wet myself. Like, I was like, what, what, why do I have to do this? I could show you. I don't need to stand up here and do it. There's a video of it on, on the internet. And I look back on it and I'm just like, oh. Hello. 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 <laughs> Can you remember the, 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 the poems you read and was you confident in them? Did, I don't know. I'm just, I'm actually nervous thinking about you going it, on there. Honestly, like I was this... Very awkward teenager. Well, yeah, and I, I rem- like the the poem that won was one called "Funny Girls Don't Get Laid." It's not supposed <laughs> to be read, read out. It's called "Funny Girls Don't Get Laid." <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> On a level, this whole thing, funny thing was getting a bit lame. It was all right to begin with, but now it's affecting my game. I'm surrounded by roses, but for like one of the weeds, I wouldn't mind. It's just. The girl's got needs. <laughs> All I want is a picture. Um, and I, in it, one of the lines was um, how much I loved Eamon Holmes, who, which has not aged well, really. Okay. The one to which my heart moans is the one and only Mr. Eamon Holmes. <laughs> he is such a big, adorable, happy, yep. lovely boy. Jodie went on stage and shared her poems with an audience for the very first time and won. A panel of the country's top writers had seen something special. You know something, the only thing I can relate it to back with myself is that I remember I was playing a game against Swindon and like we were winning quite easily by, by the time I picked up a ball. Like, it must have been 30 yards out. And f- f- in a split second, you know when people say, yes, yeah, stuff just slowed down, something slowed down. And, and for a split second, I saw the goalpost really close and the goalkeeper just wasn't in the right place. I was thinking, wow. That, I, that that never happened before. Is is that my gift to see something like that? I don't know. So was, you see, when you wrote something and so people, when people reacted to it, do you think to yourself, my God, that just came from me? And 
And look how people are, are loving it. That's a gift. Yeah, I don't think, like, I'm very self-critical, so I don't think I've ever been able to let myself, like, say, oh, it's a gift. I'm, I, I wouldn't ever say that I'm talented even. So other people can. Like, mm. a room of people yeah. can tell me that yeah. I'm this incredible, talented, whatever human being. But it's never... It's never it, something it, I've taken It's not away. something that will go in and you think like, never. right, yeah, I've made it, I'm the one. Oh, no. Never, ever. I'd never let anybody. It was official. Jody was now a poet. A new voice in a growing spoken word scene. And with it, she discovered a community of writers who became like a second family. Jody was living the dream and headed to Bestival to play a huge gig with friends. So Musa took me, um, a guy called Ray Antrobus, and mm -hmm. and Ed Sheeran. Yep, Ed Sheeran, who back then was just Ed, a regular guy struggling to make it as an artist. He took the three of us to Camp Festival. We were no, like obviously we were nobodies. He put us on stage with Scroobius Pip at Camp Festival, and we performed to um, a whole tent. So that was like a thousand people. Mm. Um, how, many, how many, how many like poems did you do? Did you like? Was it like someone would go on and you'd come on? Did you do two or three or I did, something? I did two, I think. I did two, what and I like? think it was incredible. There's a picture that I've got. Um, someone took from behind me of me in front of the whole audience and it felt like otherworldly like what is going on could you see their faces from yeah. behind so i saw that you see the front row yeah and then you see people at the back so you tune into them yes and yes that's what i did and i loved it i was terrified and i think that's um that's part of being like a performer and stuff. There's an, a bit of you that is absolutely terrified, What's but that, that fuels the, it. And what about the energy? You know, when you go into something, you can feel the energy. Yeah. What was what was the energy like in that room for you? It was like euphoric. Camp festival is quite magical. Um, everybody's very happy. Mm -hmm. It's almost, it's like a family festival as well. So everyone's just on top form. Yes. So we went there to a thousand happy faces. Brilliant. Loving what we did. Mm. Um, Performances since that haven't always been a thousand happy faces. Um, but that one was perfect and it was our first ever thing after that and it was great. Within a year, Jodie was back at Bestival performing in front of thousands. But this time the high was short-lived. What should have been the highlight of Jodie's career marked the beginning of one of the darkest periods of her life. Just days after the festival, Jodie fell ill. Some marks had appeared on her legs, which she showed to a doctor. There was a couple of bites here, mm -hmm. um, and they looked like normal, normal bites, mm -hmm. just very normal bites. And then I told the doctor where we'd been. We'd been in the Isle of Wight, mm -hmm. and he was just like, <laughs> and you could see like these mood change right. and then from there I can't really remember much except everything seemed very panicked. She'd caught encephalitis, a deadly brain flu passed on by ticks that had bitten her on the legs. I was sat in the hospital and my mum started to, was looking at her phone because mm. she'd just looked up what they said I'd got and she went a funny colour. And then I think I passed out. I was pretty unconscious for about four days after wow. that. I was really, really poorly. Then in hospital, in the middle of the night, 
Jodie realised that she couldn't move. Panicked, she called for a nurse who came to her bedside. She was really rotund, tattooed, wonderful, yeah. <laughs> like, nurse. Um, and she just sat with me. And I was crying because I was like, I can't move my, my right side. I don't know what's happening. Then when the doctors came down, they were just like, OK, this might have happened. We're not really sure what's happening. There was so much uncertainty about it all. At just 23, Jodie had had a stroke. She lost all feeling in her right side. She couldn't walk or even hold a pen to write. Was you feeling? Was you was you thinking the worst? Was you thinking when's this going to end? Uh, a little bit. It felt like uh, it wasn't happening. It was just like it was just kind of like part of this story that seemed like a soap opera. Um, <laughs> because I'd just come from this really awesome, like, like performance. I'd done Glastonbury and done all these um, festivals, and then suddenly I was sat with my boyfriend at the time, mm. not being able to move. Over the next few months, Jodie had to learn how to walk again and how to write. She was on her way back to full health. But less than four months after falling ill, Jodie landed straight back in hospital, this time with ME, also known as chronic fatigue syndrome. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move my head. It was, it was horrendous. Could you write? No, I couldn't do anything. I was, um, not for that year, I was bedbound for a year. I couldn't do anything. I had to be carried, like, helped to the toilet and all sorts. What are you thinking? Uh, it was horrible. I wanted to die. I honestly just didn't want to be here anymore. It was in a bad place. Yeah, I was going to kill myself. Could I just started to be able to write and stuff. I just, I could write, but I was just, I couldn't really do anything else. I was just in bed all the time. And I was just like, nope, not doing it. I can't do it. So, not strong enough. So that place where you found yourself, I, 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 I don't even know what to, I don't even know why I've started a question like that because I'm, I'm thinking myself. I, I'm, try, I'm putting myself in that position and I think, so where, where's the hope come from? Where, 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 so you've not done it, then what, what, what happens then? What happened? I was doing it. It was like the night of. Um, Did anybody have an inkling that you was feeling this way mentally? My mum knew like I was in a really bad place, um, but nobody else. So people were being supportive, like, um, but I was just like, no. I was so angry at myself. Why? Because I, I wasn't getting better. And I felt like that was on me. I was just saying, I, I'm not strong enough. I'm not doing what, I'm, like, my body's not working properly. <laughs> I just, I just hated, I hated everything. I was severely depressed. Mm. Like, I was just, like, bottoming out. But then, a blessing in disguise. An unexpected distraction from the pain. I can't, like, this is where real life magic comes mm. in because there's like a moment of like, you've got to, there's, there's something, you've got to do something. And there was a silly app on my phone um, and it was uh, it was a kid's app. My mum mm. had made me download all these silly apps to keep my brain working. Mm. And there was one where you put makeup on dolls. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous now, but yeah. it, was, it was all that my mind could kind of deal with. flashed up and it was like you've got to get the girls ready for a big night these dolls put makeup on the dolls <laughs> um, and I laughed and I was looking at my phone and I was just like I wonder I don't know why in this moment I thought it I was like I wonder if there's anybody else out there that's bottom, like bottoming me out mm. right now at this point what could I do so I started writing a website 
think I was in like this manic state. In that particular in that moment, moment wow. I started WordPress. The sentence was, if you're having a bad um, minute or moment or month or life, <laughs> message me and I'll send you a lovely letter. Email me. Back in a moment. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jody shared it to Facebook and Twitter and then forgot all about it. When she opened her email the next day, she had more than 200 messages waiting for her. Just like that. One million lovely letters was born. I kind of felt like I just welcomed like all of these people into my darkness, and it made it mm. light. Like when you shine a light on monsters, yeah. they don't seem so big, no, right? They don't know. So that's what had happened. I felt like I had a purpose. Obviously, I had purposes, but I couldn't see them. Yes. I, could, I needed this. This is what I needed, and so I started writing the letters. I did them from my bed for months. My mum would take them to the letterbox. Um, she'd come in get my oh, pile wow. and take them on. And that's what happened. That's how it started. Jodie had turned her lowest moment into an opportunity to serve others. She'd bravely shared her story with the world and found a community of people who needed to hear her voice. What were the kind of things that people were like sharing with you? People were sharing everything. Like I've seen the most beautiful and terrifying points of humanity in my, um, in my inbox. And because it was almost anonymous, once they've written that and pressed send, that's gone. Um, and they told me everything. Like, every email I open is a life story. And it came from everywhere. Like, it wasn't just the UK. That's the fun of social media, isn't it? Wow. Like, it gets shared and then another country will share it and then another country. And in my inbox, it would show when a certain country had become aware of it mm. because I'd just get loads all from Singapore or loads come from India. And it was it's an incredible thing to watch when it happens. I would like a lovely letter sent to my father-in-law. He's 72 and on his own after he lost his wife a couple of years ago. He's all alone in quarantine as he is a very vulnerable person and we see him once a week to drop off groceries and call him as much as possible, but we can definitely tell he's getting lonely and depressed. We're all worried about him, but he's one of those types that never says when something's wrong and he doesn't want to be a bother, but we care about him and want him to know how special and loved he is. If you could please send him a lovely letter, I really think it would cheer him up and make him feel special, even if it's just for a moment. What are some of the, like, the common f reasons why people do get in touch? Is there one particular reason why they get in touch or is it just simply they just want a, a virtual hug um, in writing? A very, um, a very common thing that comes from all over the world is loneliness. Mm. 
And I think because you don't actually, you don't have to be on your own to be alone. Like you can be sitting in the, yeah. like a crowded room and you're completely on your own. Yeah. And that comes across a lot, especially now during the pandemic, but way before that, it's always been in my inbox. We have these such instant lives. Like we can be in contact with everybody, but are we ever truly seen? Does somebody ever sit with you and mm. like look you in the eye and be like, are you all right? Yeah. Like, What's going like? What's going on? Um, even with our friends and stuff, everything's so like fast paced. Actually, getting that moment to be seen and heard and felt felt really loved. Um, I think some people don't get that. I mean, when, when I was when I was a child, I used to get I used to go through some kind of some traumatic stuff in the house. You know, my mum, my stepdad, and stuff like that. And I remember feeling really lonely in the room where you literally all you want. Somebody said to me the other day. If you could go back and see your angry nine-year-old self in the room crying because, you know, I mean, somebody said something nasty and that, what would you do? And I said, I'd probably just hug him. Yeah. You know it's what I mean? Just, you know, it's like when I when I think about that, I think about when you talk about loneliness and you talk about earlier on about you know, how you were bullied in school. So you 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 obviously have got a lot of experience of being alone yourself. So did you use that as part of your you, you had to dig into that yeah completely i i get it i can get it even now like can you? yeah of course um i can get it even now where i just very suddenly feel extremely alone and obviously it's from past traumas yeah. like but suddenly just feel it's very easy to tap into maybe that's the reason why i can like empathize with people because stuff's happened i've mm. had some stuff that's happened yeah i think once you've been into the the deepest depths, mm -hmm. you can kind of help people along a little bit. Mm. How does it feel to, for people to, to to be trusting you with their with with their, their stories and their fears? When I first started, um, I think I took everything on. I was like, oh, I need to fix everybody. I need mm. to fix everything. But that's not what people are asking for. They're asking for, they're asking for a hug. They're yeah. asking to be seen. Um, they're asking for you just in that moment to make them feel like make them know, like remind them of what they already know somewhere, mm. but the darkness is kind of hiding. And the words came naturally. The more people trusted her with their stories, the easier it became to speak loving words over them. I just see, like, see people, like when I see people, um, <laughs> different to the Sixth Sense, but real people. Um, when people wrote to me, I just I just knew what to say because it's nothing special what I'm mm. doing. It's not like an incredible skill that I've had to research. It's just human kindness and that's that's what people need. And because every story is different, obviously some of the letters I write back have this, a similar grain running mm. through them. But every letter is different because every person writes such a different email. So none can be the same. Mm. And it doesn't feel like pressure. Right. It's like an escape. It's a world that I can go into and... It's it still helps me now when everything feels feels adrift. My letters anchor me. You know what I'm gonna do? We're gonna head into a little a clip. Ellie, do you know? Do you remember uh, Ellie? I only know because um, she messaged me on Instagram, so yeah. I'm looking forward to it, and huh? pretty sure I might get upset. So we'll see. <laughs> okay, we'll see how it okay. happens. Let's hear from Ellie. So the letter that I applied for was for my mum. Um, she is the rock of our family. She keeps us all together. Um, and she was having quite a difficult time at the, at the time that I applied. My brother had been unwell and she's the one that always keeps us together. So I wanted something for her that was, you know, really special. But hearing the words from somebody else to let her know how important she is um, and what an incredible job she does. 
So this is the letter that Jodie wrote for my mum. Your lovely Ellie thinks that sometimes you do too much and are pushing yourself too hard, so you must ease up for both yourself and for her. It sounds as if you've done an amazing job of bringing her up, and I'm sure that she's a wonderful person, and she is because of you. She says that you've encouraged and inspired her, and you must be very proud. What greater reward is there than having a loving, caring, beautiful daughter like your precious Ellie? None. Well done for all of that. So receiving the letter was really quite pivotal. Um, Me and my mum have always had an incredible relationship. She is my favourite human in the whole world. Um, But I think because the letter came so out of the blue, she didn't know she was receiving one. I never told her about the project um, until afterwards. When she received it, it was it was a really pivotal moment and it gave her that chance to reflect, to think. We both had a cry (laughs) Um, and it was it was really special to receive. So listening to, have you heard that before? No. So listening to that, so she's reaching out to you for you to write to somebody to give them the the, the hug. Yeah. How does that make you feel sick? Because remember, we've got to go back to that. We've got to go to that bed where you're feeling, you, you literally can't, you can't walk. You're just barely able to write and you've found it in yourself to say, I'm just going to put this, this SOS call out. Felt like purpose. Like, oh, okay. This is why I've got. This is why I've got to carry on because I've got to do this, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then the next day, and the next day. Just listening to them speak, there, man. It, no, don't cry on me now. I won't cry. But I, <laughs> I, won't, I, I can't hug you. I'm I know. Not I know. It really, you know, listening. I, I just love. I love the fact that someone else wants you to write a letter to their loved ones because, as much as they love their their loved ones, they believe that the way you write and what you will say is far more powerful. Do you understand how powerful that is? It's a cool thing to be able to do. It is. It's a really nice thing. I must have been 17 and there was a footballer in Italy. He was like, uh, he was like a phenomenon. His name was Gianluca Vialli. And for some reason, I just felt compelled to write him. You know what I mean? I, I felt like I had to write him just to express... Um, how good he was, and you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a fo- I'm somebody who's trying to be a footballer. It's not quite worked out for me, but you're you're somebody that I look up to. He's same age. We've gone on to be mates. I know him now as a friend, and um, I wrote a letter to him, Jodie. And honestly, when he he wrote one back, and one of the biggest regrets I think in my whole life is that now we are friends. Um, you know, t- I would love to have been able to show him the letter. It is especially at that time of my life. I needed, I needed that. I needed that lift. It's literally, in respects of writing, that's the only letter I wrote to somebody. I wanted to tell you that because I wanted to know from you, did you get any kind of letters that made you feel like, oh my gosh. In my old house, Mm -hmm. um, because as I mentioned, I still have extremely dark times. Um, (laughs) In my um, house, um, I had an office and from floor to ceiling, there were thank yous Mm -hmm. from all over the place. Um, There was drawings from people's children and things um, just to remind me like why it happens. And these were like thank yous and stories of what's happened after the letter mm. and what they've done with that letter. And like some have got it framed in their house or carry it with mm. them in their purse all the time. And it was just like, um, just a reminder that even on my days when I 
feel like I don't matter at all that I've actually got a, touch people, got a reason. Man. You know, we've, um, we're now in the, um, in the pandemic. What, what, what do you make of it? Are you getting letters in and around now and yeah. what's going on? And how, how, how are people feeling right now? I'm getting loads. But when I um, first, when the pandemic first started, we mm. all went into big lockdown. What I started on Instagram was um, each week I'd get people to send me like a key worker or somebody that was particularly struggling right. in the pandemic. And I'd go on Instagram and almost do group work. I'd say, let's all write a letter to this person. Mm. So I'd give their name and what they were doing. And then um, when people had written their letter with their families Uh and like their kids, because all the kids were off school, um, the kids and them had got all together and written some letters. They'd send them to me. And then I'd send a big pack of letters to this one person. Um, And it was just a way of getting people together because people just wanted a bit of humanity yeah and that was their way of helping nobody knew how to help the nurses and the doctors and stuff because we were all we were all locked in nobody knew what to do this way they could send letters to them and it was just and we i sent letters to people's nannies and their granddads Mm. who were in isolation and it was just a really nice thing people just wanted to be involved and it's just People, what they just want to be reminded of, like we're, we're all going through it, and you just have to find the positivity. And see, I'm look at me trying to feel like I could. Let me see if I could write a letter to somebody, a total stranger, in this time. I'm trying to think. What would I focus on? That- do, do you know what I think? A lot of it was. I think a lot of people are focusing on positivity, but also allowing the people people are spaced to find it really difficult, and to tell them how valid their feelings are. Like oh, you're finding it difficult and mm. you're feeling panicked. That's completely fine. fine. It's a very scary time. We're mm. all going through this like group trauma. Like it's one one time, like since the war yes. that we weren't really around, we weren't around for where all of us are in the same boat and actually uh, reminding them that what they're feeling in their stance, however they're coping with it, if they're not getting out of bed some days, that's okay. Like it's all right. Mm-hmm. But if you are going and like, getting on with it and doing really well. Awesome. But however you're dealing with Mm -hmm. it, well done. (laughs) So, Jode, what is next for one million letters? Two million letters? Five million million letters? letters. I'm just going to keep writing them Mm. and see what happens next. Because... um, if you put good out into the world, good comes. Mm. So that's what I'm just keep doing. Just keep writing. I'm going to be writing until I'm old and grey and the arthritis kicks in. <laughs> People will never not need kindness. It's a, it's a very nice trade to be in. Jodie and Bickley, I love your work. <laughs> Thanks. God bless you. And your pink hair. I'm a pink hair. <laughs> Unbelievable. Thank you. Thanks, Jodie. If you've been affected by any of the themes from today's episode, head to our show notes for details on how you can access help and support. Next time on Everyday People, the teacher who turned stigma into triumph. I think that has to be like my proudest ever moment. Just a few years ago, someone told me that I should consider a different career. And a few years later, I'm here picking up an award. If you like what you've heard so far and think you've got an amazing story to tell, I'd love to hear from you. 
Get in touch at everydaypeople at somethingelse.com. That's everydaypeople at somethingelse.com without the G. Everyday People is a Something Else production hosted by me, Ian Wright. Produced by Jade Scott. Our assistant producer is Grace Laker. Our executive producers are Ollie Wilson and Chris Skinner. The sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. With thanks to Paul Smith, Joe Sykes and Steve Ackerman. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>